Numbers chapter number 20. Thank you for allowing me this morning to take my time and plod through these verses of Scripture, and I'm sorry that I didn't get finished, and I'm sorry I kept you past 12 in a way, but God was doing a deep work in my own heart and your life as well. And we're dealing with breaking under pressure. What causes us to have a meltdown in the midst of life. And we're looking to me at one of the saddest passages in the whole Bible. Because our hero, Moses, we see the human side. Remember chapter 12, verse 3, God has just bragged on him and said, He's not just meek. He's very meek. He's the meekest upon all the face of the earth. Would you agree with me that that is a very high recommendation? That God said, that's the best of God. He's a good man. And, and a lot of times, especially Baptists, and by the way, the reason why I pick on Baptists so much, that's what I am, so I pick on my own kind. I'm sure they're hypocrite Methodists and hypocrite Presbyterians and hypocrite Church of God, but I'm preaching them hypocrite Baptists. Say amen right that. And uh, But so many times as Baptists, we... we we judge people. Why, if they were saved, they wouldn't have done that. If they were right with God, they wouldn't have done that. But we don't want nobody saying that about us. So God writes in the Bible about people who are good, godly, God-fearing people that had a breakdown, that had a meltdown in their life. Think about this. Elijah, in a time of discouragement, had a breakdown. David, in a time of lust, had a breakdown. Elijah in a time of discourage, John the Baptist in a time of fear. And there'll come a time in your life and mine where the pressures of life will be so intense and so hard that at our weakest we find out we're really not what we ought to be. By the way, there is no excuse for failure, but I understand this. It's possible for all of us to walk through that dark valley where we Fail the Lord and in a moment, make a wrong decision. And we've been looking that in the life of Moses in this chapter, his breaking under pressure. We covered this morning, number one, the root of it. What caused this man of God to fold and break under such pressure? What caused a man from the time God brags on him, eight chapters later to in a fit of ranger, of anger, he disappoints himself and displeases God. What could cause a man to leave the tabernacle, hearing the voice of God, seeing the glory of God, and the next verse melting down, breaking down under this pressure? What's the root of that? What causes that? We covered that this morning. We looked at the way he had been traveling. He'd been in a desert. He's hot. He's tired. He's thirsty. We looked at the pain that he'd gone through. He loses Miriam, his sister, and she dies, and, he's buried, and he, she, he buries her there. He's already physically and emotionally distraught. Then he has this problem. There's no water. And then here come the people. How insensitive can people be? I'll tell you what, they can be real insensitive. I, I remember not long ago somebody said something to me. They said, boy, we'll be glad when you get back. Well, I'm doing the best I can. And people are very insensitive. 
I, we had a guy one time change memberships. And I called him. I said, we've been missing you. He said, well, I joined another church. I said, well, we're going to miss you. We love you. And I said, well, is there a problem with us? He said, yeah. He said, uh, I like singing out of the Red Book. I said, well, them songs we put on the screen come out of the Red Book. He said, but I, I want to get involved. I said, you have to come to get involved. He said, Brother Joe, just to be honest with you, it was a step up for me. I said, great, wonderful. Everybody needs to take a step up in their Christian life. He said, Brother Joe, don't take things like that personal. They ain't said that to you. So, I mean, he's on this wilderness journey. His sister's dead. And here they, they won't even give this man time to grieve. And they're chiding with him. They're attacking him with their words. That's the root of it. He just couldn't take no more. He had a meltdown. And by the way, I've heard people take some verses out of context. Probably one of the most misused verses in all the Bibles, Romans 8, 28. I want to tell you something, brother. When somebody's going through the darkest place of their life, they don't need you patting them on the back going, well, Romans 8, 28. Thank God for that verse. And that verse does have a meaning. Well, sometimes people don't need a sermon. They need sympathy. And here's another verse we've taken out of context. I'll tell you, the Bible said he wouldn't put more than you can bear. It says something like that. It says something close to that. That is not exactly what God meant nor what God said. There is a thing in life called unbearable grief. The valley can be so deep. The mountain can be so high that you fold and you break under that pressure. And so that's the root of it. Then toward the end of the message, we dealt with the revelation of it. Not only the root of it, what caused it, but how did he reveal it? How did Moses express this breakdown? And I ended the sermon today talking about his mouth and his hands. He revealed his meltdown with his mouth. He said something that he should not have said. Remember in our text in verse number uh, 10, Numbers 20, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, <laughs> must we fetch you out water from this rock. He cursed those people. He called them rebels. He called them heathens. He took his anger out on those, and he used his words. And remember I said in the message this morning, because somebody says hurtful things to you, that don't give you the right to say hurtful things back to them. By the way, here's another statement. It ain't in the Bible, but here's another statement I grew up on. And if I ever find out who started that, I'm going to tell them how ignorant they are. How many has ever heard this? Your teacher made you say it. You ready? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words cannot hurt me. Whoever said that never went to a Baptist church. Sticks and stones may break my bones and words can hurt you. And they can hurt others. He revealed it with his mouth. And then the end of the message this morning, he revealed it with his hand. He started throwing things. He got animated. And he took that rod that God told him to speak to the rock with and he smote it once and he smote it twice 
And man, he displayed his anger. But I want to add something before I get to the results. You say, Moses has got a mouth problem. Looks like it. Moses has got a temper problem, a hand problem. He reacted wrong. Yeah, probably. But I believe Moses has more than a mouth problem, Richard, and a hand problem. Moses has got a heart problem. Because the Bible said all these things originate out of the heart. And you say, well, Brother Joe, how do you read where Moses has a heart problem? Well, if his heart had really been what it should have been at that moment, how can you go in verse 9 and 10 to the door of the tabernacle, fall on your face before God in prayer, and God answer you and God instruct you, and, and the glory of the Lord comes down, that's what it says in the text, and turn and walk away from that great meeting with God and within a second lose it all. I'll tell you what you do. A lot of times we go to the church, we listen to the singing, we listen to the preaching. Hello? And it goes through our brain, but it never makes that little trip from our head down to our heart. You remember I said in sermons in days gone by that the devil will attack you at a weak moment. Now we all believe that. But let me tell you tonight how low down the devil is. He will not only attack you in a weak moment, he will attack you after a powerful moment, a high moment, a great blessing time in your life. He not only comes at us when we're down in the valley, but he'll shoot at you when you're up there on the mountain. And some of the Bible characters had their worst battles with the devil after a big high in their life. For instance, Moses is on top of Mount Sinai. He sees the finger of God. He hears the audible voice of God. God writes his Ten Commandments on the side of that rock. And Moses has got so much God on him, he has to put a veil over him so they can look at him. And he comes down off of the mountain and the first thing he sees is the people of Israel, listen to this, naked, dancing, partying, and worshiping a golden calf. Remember Noah comes through that flood, comes through that storm. Sees the dove, sees the rainbow. God uses him to preserve human life. And the next thing we see him, laying in a cave, drunk, because the devil hit him after a great high. What about Jesus? Matthew chapter number three, go to the baptism. Down in the river Jordan, John baptizes Jesus. And the heavens open. And the dove flutters down. And the voice of God says, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. You don't get any more powerful than that. And after chapter 3 of hearing the audible voice of God and the Holy Spirit dove, chapter 4, he is in the wilderness battling Satan himself. 
David comes home from a great victory. He's whooped everybody that's gotten his way and he goes out on his front deck to get a little rest and there is a naked woman taking a bath and that leads to adultery, that leads to lying, that leads to murder, that leads to a disease in his body. Listen, the devil not only will attack you at your weakest moment when you're in the valley, but after a spiritual high and a great time of success and a great time of victory in your life, he'll come again. Moses has just had an awesome experience. Well, I thought about this this afternoon. Yes, he's been in that wilderness. Yes, he's been over at the grave of his sister. Yes, he has no water. But remember, him and his brother go to the tabernacle, to the door of the tabernacle, and they fall on their face before God. And they begin to pray and they begin to cry and they begin to call on the Lord and God answers them and God blesses them and the glory of the Lord is upon them. Moses gets off of the ground with the voice of God echoing in his ear and the glory of God on his life. And the very next verse, he has a meltdown. I'm telling you, we're never too close. We're never too devoted. We're never too above having a meltdown. And a breakdown in our life. And the devil don't care. You can go to church. I mean worship God. The glory of the Lord come down. Feel like you're so close to God. You got an angel feather in your mouth. And before you pull into your driveway. There goes the joy. I have literally. And I'm not proud of this but I have literally stood in this pulpit on multiple occasions and the Holy Ghost just kissed all over me and it felt like I had God bumps so high you'd have to get a 10 foot ladder to scratch them and before I leave this premise somebody done rained on my parade or rained on my own parade, or maybe said something, or did something, or thought something. I'm telling you tonight, yes, the devil does come when we're discouraged, but he comes when we're not. Oh, during that pandemic, man, the devil had a time in people's minds. They were cut off from church. They were cut off from people. And the devil had a heyday. But on day something, brother, he didn't stop having a heyday when we opened the church back up. In fact, he's at work tonight. In fact, the devil would love for you to sit here and listen to that good singing, hear this Bible message, and walk out that door and it not affect you whatsoever at all. And brother, it is possible tonight, it is possible to be so familiar with church and the singing and the word and the preaching that you sit there because it's your duty and you hear it, but you don't heed it. It never makes a difference in your life because we got more than a mouth problem. We have more than a hand problem. We got a heart problem. Moses is cold in his heart. Moses is distracted in his heart. He's been with God. He's worshiped God. He's heard from God. He saw the glory of God. But his heart is so far and melted and disturbed that it doesn't affect his life. And one second after he hears from God, he has a meltdown. 
Thank God we ought to go to church. We ought to be faithful to church. Every time a door is open, we ought to be there. Do you know what? The Bible said in the last day that wouldn't be a hearing of the word. There would be a famine on the heeding of the word of God. God wants you to do more than just hear the teaching, hear the preaching, hear the music, hear the singing. He wants you to do more than worship him in motion. He wants that word of God to make a difference in your life. I've been in jubilees and camp meetings where, I mean, boy, we shouted it out. I mean, we are running the aisles, throwing piggy, I mean, busting piggy banks and throwing flyer pots. And I mean, man, we just having us a time. And two or three days later, one of them same preachers that was having his big old glory spell, he shacked up at some woman down the street. Because we need to do more than worship God with just an outward appearance. We do more than go to church and just soak in religious information. Listen, the devil don't care how much we go to church and how great the choir sings and how much Bible is preached, but what he does care is when you put it into your life and you use it in your life. Hey, if we keep it all in here, that's not going to bother the devil. But all they want to, I tell you what will bother the devil. When we take the joy and the glory and the truth and the blessing that we got in this room and we take it out to a lost and a dying world, that's what he wants to stop. He wants you to do more than serve God and worship God with your eyes, with your mouth, with your ears, with your hand. He wants you to serve Him and worship Him and love Him in your heart. Because when God gets a hold of your heart, listen closely, when God gets a hold of your heart, He gets your mind, He gets your mouth, He gets your hands, He gets everything that goes with it. So I see the root of his problem. I see the revelation of his problem. But I could not do this text justice. I could not do you justice as a man of God if I didn't give you tonight the results of his problem. I see the root of it, what caused it. I see the revelation of it, how he expressed it. But ladies and gentlemen, I have got to give you the results of Moses' breakdown. I've got to give you the results of his anger fit that he pitched in this text. Young people, I'm going to use a word that you won't hear a lot from tonight forward in your life. But your mom and daddy in my generation grew up on this word. And it's the word consequence. Say that with me. Consequence. In fact, some of us are old enough to remember that crazy guy on TV and that program. Truth <laughs> or consequence. What are consequences? That's the result of choices that we make. And let me say this. God created us, and that's why we're not Calvinists. God created us as a free moral agent. God has given you and I the ability to say yes and no. God has given you and I the ability to say yes to Jesus or no to Christ. God has given you and I. Listen, God loved us so much that he gave us a choice to accept him or refuse him. But now listen, once the choice is made, 
That's where our free will stops. Let me, let, let, let me illustrate. I have control over the choice that I make. But the consequences that comes as a result of that choice is totally out of my control. I control the choice, but I do not control the consequences. Here's another word you young people may not ever hear in this woke society we're gonna, you're going to have to live in. It's called irrevocable. Say that with me, the word irrevocable. You say, what does that mean? That means there's some things can't change. There's some things you can't ever take back. And I'm not throwing stones, but it seemed like since Bill Clinton was president, all you got to do when you got caught doing something wrong is say, I didn't inhale. It ain't my fault. Or, I'm sorry. Now, I, I believe it takes a real man to apologize. It takes a real individual to apologize. Some of, you, some of you hadn't done it in so long, you ought to practice it in front of a mirror. But I don't care how many times we say, I'm sorry. That's not a, that's not a fix-all. That's not a cure. You know, you, you know what I'm sorry is? That's a Band-Aid. That's a Band-Aid. It's not a cure-all. And you can say, well, I, I'm sorry. You can say something crazy and hurt somebody and I take that back. You can't do that. You can't take them words back. You can't take that hurt back. You done said it. It's irrevocable, the consequences. Now, I believe in restoration. I believe in forgiveness. My Lord, in fact, a lot of the independent Baptist preachers in the state of Georgia think I'm a compromiser because I do preach restoration and forgiveness. I'm the guy, remember, with no convictions. They're the people with no brains. But listen to me. There's a difference between forgiveness, restoration, dealing with consequences. Consequences are irrevocable. God forgives sin. God forgives failure. Ain't anybody glad for that? Oh, man, God's grace is abundant. God's grace is awesome. But we're talking about irrevocable consequences to the choices that we make. My daddy used to illustrate it like this to me when I was a little boy. He said, son, you can go out and get drunk and you can stagger in a drunken stupor upon a railroad track fall down, hit your head, knock yourself out, and a train come by and cut off your arm. And as you get up with that little nub, somebody gets you to the hospital and they stop the bleeding and they save your life. And you go to church and get up before the church and one of them old-fashioned confession services. God deliver us from those. There's some things I don't want to hear. Leave me out of it. This fellow said to me one time, I did his point, you don't know half of what goes on around here. I said, I know enough to keep my nerves tore up. 
And you can go down to that church and say, church, I want to apologize. I want to get right with the church. I want to confess my sin to the church and the preacher. I got drunk last Friday night and I stumbled on a railroad track and I fell down on that railroad track and I knocked myself unconscious and that train come by and cut off my arm and all I got is a nub. I want the church to forgive me. You know what that church better do? According to the New Testament, they better forgive you. And the preacher, we used to do this. I don't know what, man, that was bad. All right, let's all come around and shake hands and so-and-so. He's right with God. Well, I guess we'll shake nubs. So this poor guy stands there. He's already embarrassed his wife and his family and the church. And he has to stand there with that nub hitting everybody as they go by. Hey, sorry, you got drunk there, brother. And man, he can get forgiveness. The church can hold nothing against him. He can get back in fellowship. Everything looks great, except there's one problem. Can anybody tell me about one little thing ain't going to happen? He's still got a nub. And that arm will never grow back. There are some things that just won't be the same. You say, preacher, how depressing. Uh, No, no, that's just the way it is. There is forgiveness, there is restoration, but there are scars. There are consequences. I bear them in my life, you bear them in your world. There's men in this church who've told me on multiple occasions, Brother Joe, if I had back every dollar every dime I ever gambled and doped and drunk away we could build three more churches this side there's people in this room tonight have scars in your body from a past sin a past lifestyle and Moses is standing before God and by the way you and I love about God even though Moses didn't do it right God still honored his word. So therefore, that that, that lets me know you ain't got to be perfect to pastor a Baptist church. I mean, God said, Moses, I'm going to give them water. I'm going to give them water and it's going to come out of that rock. Man, Moses didn't do it right, but God kept his word and God gave them water out of the rock and nobody ever died of thirst in that wilderness journey. But there are some results. Moses had to deal with. Now remember I said this morning what could be so bad about just smiting a rock. Well, it's a picture of God's love and mercy that he wants to paint to the world. And and when Moses ain't right, he don't present God right. Ooh. Ooh. God said, Moses, you didn't sanctify me among the people. What's that word sanctify mean? Set apart, to be different. And Moses, with your meltdown, with your fit of rage, you didn't represent me well. You didn't make me look good in the eyes of these people. And let me say to every parent in this room tonight, you cursing, yelling, screaming, throwing things in your house in front of your kids, is painting the wrong picture, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's painting the wrong picture. 
I try to tell the preacher boys this. When a preacher gets up and preaches in the flesh and uses street language and he's ugly and he's mean and he's rude and he's crude, man, that ain't hard preaching. That ain't Holy Ghost preaching. That's a display of our own human weaknesses and it don't make God look good. Now, don't go to the other side where some people say, we should never preach on sin. We should never preach on hell. We should never preach on the judgment of God. That's No, 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 that's nonsense. We ought to preach on hell. We ought to preach on judgment. We ought to preach on the, Holy Ghost, on the holiness of God. But Brother Don, when we preach on hell and the judgment of God, we don't need to act like we're glad people go there. That picture, he, he misrepresented God to those people. And God said to him, here's the results of it, Moses. You can't go to the promised land. Read it. Verse 13, God said, Moses, that lamb that flows with milk and honey, that lamb that you've been talking about, and by the way, that ain't talking about going to heaven when you die. Well, all day, do, do not make the error that some spiritualists make when you, put, when you typify Canaan a type of heaven. Canaan is not a type of heaven. No, in Canaan there are enemies. In Canaan there is sin. In Canaan there is problems. In Canaan there is giants. In Canaan there is defeat. And I'm telling you, if I read my Bible right, there are no sins in heaven and no giants in heaven and no failures in heaven. Canaan is a type of the victorious Christian life that we live every day when God gives us personal victory over our sins and our faults and our failures. In other words, Canaan represents, listen to this line, Canaan represents... God's best on earth for somebody. And God said, Moses, you'll never have my best. You'll never have my best. I'm going to go back to that just a moment. Number two, the results of Moses' outburst not only affected him, but it affected others. Young people, listen to your pastor. Here's something else you won't hear much in this woke generation. I feel so sorry for you. But listen to your pastor. And I want everybody my age and older to stand up and yell to the top of your feeble voice. He's right. So when I get through, I want everybody my age and older, if you can, to stand up and yell, he is right. And if you are my age and older and you cannot even get up, yell, he is right. If you are my age and older and you cannot yell, I want you to grunt, he is right. Young people, listen to me. You will be taught in this woke generation that what you do affects you and nobody else. You will be taught what you do does not affect anybody around you. And here it is. Young people, old people, are you listening? Are you ready? This is your time to shine. Young people, 
What you do will have a direct effect on others. Steve, did you ever get up or you just nod your head? What about Jerry? Did he get up? He said, I hollered. (laughs) But am I right? It will affect others. You say, how? It not only cost Moses a trip to the promised land. Aaron, his brother, cost him his life. Chapter 20, I love what Herbert Lockler says. I'm giving away my secrets, but if you build in a library, you can't have a good one without the All Series. There's 27 books called the All Series. All the books, all the chapters, all the prophets by Herbert Locklear. Awesome, awesome. And in his book on all the books and chapters of the Bible, paragraph one, first sentence, he says this. He said, this chapter reeks with the smell of, and the, and the anxiety, death. Because the chapter begins with the death of Moses' sister, Miriam. And the chapter ends with the death of his brother, Aaron. But if you think Moses had been blessed by sister Miriam, his right-hand man's Aaron. God said, neither one of you is going to the promised land. You or him. In fact, he's going to die. So you and him go to the mountain. I'm going to take him. Moses comes off that mountain. And Aaron loses his life. Brother C.T. Townsend was telling me about a certain preacher he knew in Savannah, Georgia, that got crossways with God. Crossways with people, crossways with everything. And Brother C.T. called him on the phone to tell him, we love you, man, we're praying for you, and all of that. And he began to, you know, just, it was awful what was said. And finally, Brother C.T. said, man, won't you get right with the Lord? He loves you. He cares for you. There's forgiveness. Yes, there's consequences, but come on and serve God while you can. And, and you give him what's left to make the best of a bad circumstance. And come on back, brother, we love you. He said, I'm done with you. I'm done with God. I'm done with the Bible. I'm done with church. I'm done with all of it. Brother C.T. said, man, listen, God may kill you. He just said off the top of his head, God may kill you, brother. And that preacher said, so what if he does? Three months later, they preached his funeral. Ladies and gentlemen, it affects others. It affects others. Now, I need to say this tonight. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He's a kind God. He's a faithful God. But He's holy and He's just and He's sovereign and He's perfect. And there is a price to pay for stepping out of the will of God. But here's the good part. I never leave you without the good part. I see the results of this. 
He displeases the Lord. He forfeits his trip to the promised land. He can never have God's perfect best. But Moses doesn't die here. His life isn't over here. His ministry's not even over here. And he goes on to serve the Lord. He goes on and finishes what God told him to do. And he gets blessed even after the failure. Isn't it amazing how the Lord knows what you need when you need it? You come to chapter number 20 and there's your hero done pitched a fit, had a meltdown. He's crossways and in trouble with God. Death's all around him. I mean, son, it looks like bad, bad, bad. But buddy, chapter number 21 Hallelujahs, when God says, son, then people have a problem and they have a disease, but I got a cure. Get your serpent made of brass, put it on a pole and tell them, son, if you look, you can live no matter who you are, where you're from. And Lord, I done gone to hacking. Let me back up right That mountain preacher's about to come out in me. That felt good. Can I go ahead and do that? Get that out of my system. Oh, he said, Moses, I know the people have sinned and I know the people have failed, but there's a remedy. There's a cure. Hey, take that serpent, make him out of brass and put him on a pole. Set him up in the center of the camp and tell him the message. If you look, you'll live. No matter where you're from, what you've done, how long you've been doing it, look and live, look and live. And Moses stood up there and said, hey, here's the cure for your sin. Here's a brazen serpent. You look and live. And Jesus thought it was so wonderful that 1,500 years later, Lord God, somebody help me, that 1,500 years later, he said, I think I'll preach on that myself. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he put it right beside of the greatest verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Hallelujah, failure's not final. Glory. That's what it sounds like when a doctor hacks. Say amen, my friend. Now, Moses never got the best. But you know what he did? He served God where he could. He bloomed where he was planted. Instead of drowning in a bowl of milk, he flapped his wings till he turned a hunk of butter and floated his way through life. Every young person in this building just went. Vance Havner. I can't believe the only time I had an opportunity to hear Vance Havner was when I lived in Forest Park. And at 91 years old, he preached at Ash Street Baptist. And I saw it on the sign that we were having night classes at Emmanuel. And I had to go and I missed Vance Havner. I wish I could have sat in his presence. A North Carolina boy from Hickory, God raised up and he used him all over this nation for 75 plus years preaching the gospel. A man of God. He's written several little books, devotional books, and I'm telling you they're, they're a treasure. One of Dr. Havner's books is called The Lord of What's Left. The Lord of What's Left. And he begins in that poetic style. So, so, you've messed up. 
So you made the wrong choice. So you sowed some bad seeds. So you've gotten to something you shouldn't have gotten into. And you've scarred your life and you scarred your testimony and maybe forfeited the very best. But he's the Lord of what's left. And I'm going to tell you something. I felt like it. I'd walk the back of these pews. I'm so excited right here. What God has left is better than anything the devil would give you sitting there wallowing in a pool of futility. You had a marriage go bad, God can help you through that. You had a kid go bad, God help you through that. You had a church go bad, a ministry go bad, a life go bad, God help you through that. Because living with what God has left is better than anything the devil could ever give you wallowing failure. Amen. Because it's after this we have the brazen serpent. It's after this we have the book of Deuteronomy. Glory, glory. And it's after this that Moses goes on the mountain. He can't go into the land of Canaan. Lord have mercy. It's after this. No, he can't go into the land of Canaan. No, he can't fulfill the complete purpose that God had in his life. But my soul above, Cato, look what God has left for him. You say what? He took him on top of Mount Nebo. And he went to glory. And he went to heaven. His natural forces was not abated. His eyes wasn't dimmed. God smothered him to death with Holy Ghost kisses. The devil didn't kill him. He didn't kill himself. The Lord took him off top of that mountain. And they hadn't seen him since. Except one day, hallelujah, on Mount Transfiguration, when Peter and James and John stood there by the resurrected, glorified, transfigured Christ. And what do you know? There stands old Moses. One more time, God said, you can't have the best down here, but I'll give you the best I got up there because my faults and my failures and my mess up may keep me from a crown down here, but it won't keep me from the city up yonder. Hallelujah. So much that how did Moses die? He was in perfect health. He wasn't sick. His natural force was not abated. How did he die? Well, I might as well give you my authorized version. Who got that? Jeff, did you really get that or are you just raising your hand? 
You remember back over there in Exodus when Moses got so disgusted? He said, Lord, show me thy glory. God said, Moses, you can't see my face and live. I believe God took that old boy up there after all his faults and failures and setbacks and foul-ups and said, son, I know you can't pastor that big church and I know you can't lead that big organization and I know you can't have this family and that family and I know there's a lot of things down here that may never be right again for you and I, you missed the will of God a couple of times and and I understand that you may not be living on the best, and you know, but he said, I got something better than the best. Ain't nobody up here, honey, but you and me. You remember over there where you said you wanted to see me and I told you you couldn't and live? Moses, you don't have to live no more after this. You said you wanted to see me, didn't you? So, son, here I am. And what he saw took his breath. Did you get that point? Did you get that point? I feel good right now, almost. Hey, hey, did you get that point? Did you get a hold of that? Woo! God said, here I am. And it took his breath. It was breathtaking. You know what the Jewish writers said about this? Them old Jewish writers, you know how they used to commentate this passage? It said, and God took our brother Moses up to the mountain and sucked out his soul and took it to glory. Hallelujah. You say, but I failed the Lord down here and I missed the will of God down here and I had a marriage breakup down here and I had a health problem down here and I had this and I had this and I had that. Yeah, one of these days we're going to lay this and we're going to lay that. We're going to lay it all down and we'll see Jesus. It'll be breathtaking and it'll be worth every mile of the trip. So press on. And bloom where you planted. And give God the glory and enjoy the fire out of what you got. Because we remember this. Sometimes when life and circumstances say no, there's life on the other side of that. I want musicians to come real quickly and I felt God in here a while ago, Tom. You started singing, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. There's a great preacher in the camp meeting circles, 50s, 60s, 70s. I never met this man, but I got to walk with the people that walked with this man. He was an older preacher when Mays Jackson and Billy Kelly were younger preachers. And so by the time I was the young preacher with... Brother Mays and Billy, this man had already passed. I sat like this. I didn't get to walk with him. 
but I got to walk in his shadow. I never got to meet Oliver Green. I never got to meet Lester Roloff, but I'm personal friends with people who do them well. And I say it like this. I didn't get to walk with them, but I've been able to walk in their shadow. And one of those great preachers had a great church. The power of God was there. Souls were being saved every Sunday, packing the place out. Cars parked blocks and blocks away. And the devil attacked that church. The devil attacked that body. He attacked that preacher. And in a discouraging moment, he up and resigned that church and walked away. He preached another 40 years after that. Built two more good churches after that. Preached in evangelism and revivals and camp meetings 40 years every week of his life after that. Thousands won to Christ. Hundreds of young preachers. Fruit of his ministry. But on his deathbed, he said to Mays Jackson, Mays! God was all over us at such and such place. The blessings of God was at such and such place. And I let a few problems frighten me. And in a moment of frustration and confusion, I up and resigned that church. And in, on his deathbed, he said, they've never been the same and I've never been the same. He served God. God gave him a great ministry. But there's a little place in his life he can always go back to and say. And I'm telling you tonight, if Moses, David, Elijah, John the Baptist, and my friend, and me, and you, and all of us, and have a meltdown and a breakdown under pressure. Don't you think we need God in our life all the time? Help me, Lord. I got a little granddaughter named Holly. Holly is a wreck, an emergency, fall off the cliff, waiting to happen. If you can get hurt doing it, Holly will figure out a way to do that. She's just wild, out there, uncontrollable, a nut. She's crazy, but I love her to pieces. Because she'll fall down and bust her head and cry and go, <laughs> I fell down over Little children are prone to fall, ain't they? Stump their toe, run into the wall. We was on vacation one time, and I remember Michaela running down the hallway, run right into a table, bam, right there. We got pictures of it. I'm going to tell you something. As God's little children, we stumble. We're fall. We're prone. It's out there. But I'm glad if I disappoint God and I 
disobey God and I don't even do what I'm supposed to do. I'm glad he still loves me. And I'm glad there's still life on the other side of that. And think about this. If all this comes to a naught, we got heaven. And there's nothing can take that from us tonight.